This episode of Rehab Confidential is proudly sponsored by Clean Cause Yerba Mate. If you know me, you know I love the Yerba Mate. Clean Cause Yerba Mate is even more awesome because they have a zillion flavors and it's bubbly and 50% of their profits goes to supporting individuals in recovery from alcohol and drug addiction. They've already given away 1,500 sober living scholarships. That's over $750,000. 160 people die of a drug overdose every day. We can do better. Help us do better. Go to cleancause, C-L-E-A-N-C-A-U-S-E dot com and use the code REHABCONFIDENTIAL, all caps, at checkout for 20% off. And don't say we don't hook you up. Go. This is Rehab Confidential. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, my God. Peeling back the layers of the rehab industrial complex. So let's get into it. You want to get into it? Come on. Take the gloves off. Let's get into it. Hey there. Welcome to Rehab Confidential. I'm Joe Shrank. And I am Amy Dresner going on amy dresner a little early for me but yes. well worth it given our very 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 cool guest mike yes um, totally worth getting up early for she's an, yeah no, she's, she's amazing and like i'm really excited totally to talk to her. and i've known her for a long time so i'm excited to talk to her i know um, you're like weirdly connected what do you mean weirdly connected like you're very you know everyone i don't know how everyone yeah. can hate you but you can still know everybody I don't know that I'm as hated as you think I am. <laughs> I think I'm more avoided. I don't know. I mean, I think that people, are people scared know. Of you. Well, they're just scared of what I'll say, which I understand. I mean, you know, if I was trying to make sure my rehab was full, I would steer clear of me too. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I, that's not part of my agenda. I mean, I do believe in rehab when it's appropriate and I think it's, you know, can be a good thing, but do I want to help someone in Florida fill 200 beds by telling them bullshit? Uh, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. Right. So anyway, you know, um, all right. So let's, uh, so it's recovery month. It's recovery month. It is. It's recovery month, which I'm always, you know, I I don't understand it. No, I don't feel weird about it. I think it's great. I just don't understand how we are not very successful. Like the breast cancer people get the NFL to wear pink cleats and they have big parades. And I was in London one year for breast cancer and they had thousands of people in Hyde Park wearing pink bras. Wow. Which I thought was really cool. Um, yeah, we don't and have that. We I, don't have I, that. We don't. No, I mean, we don't. We don't. I don't. Which get is it. weird, because we've got you know. I mean, what's our our color's yeah. purple? Yeah, uh, our color is purple, and it's like like Barney the dinosaur. Maybe that's <laughs> why. I don't know. I mean, just... I saw something that like drug dealers were like dying, like they're fucking crack purple, like in it, like honor. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know if it was a joke uh-huh. or not, but I was like, that's interesting and weird drug um, dealers are weird i, I mean, don't know you're right though business. you're right yeah. it, they should yeah. be supportive and yeah. they're i don't know like why aren't we why don't, don't we have a fucking parade i've always said this shit. i don't know we should have a parade i'm not i you mean know. i love prince but i'm not a huge fan of purple i don't wear a lot of purple why purple fuck if i know i've never given the color purple a second thought. So it's not, I don't have an issue with the color. It could be, uh, I don't know. Maybe it's just memorable. Who the fuck knows? Cause that's the color. Like, do you get purple? Oh, I was going to say something. It's horrible. the color of, of death. I don't know. What the I don't fuck know. Yeah. The I don't thinking know. Is, and I don't know who decided. All right. So either. let me just say a couple of things about it. It's a it was a very lackluster response. I did a lot of searching on the internet and um, I did a lot of outreach to people. You're talking I about know. overdose day. You're talking about national talking overdose, about overdose day. day. Yeah. Correct. So governor Phil Murphy of New Jersey. Thank you, governor Murphy. He made a statement. Um, governor Ned Lamont of Connecticut made a statement and governor Tom Wolf of Pennsylvania, but there wasn't a lot else. There were some small town mayors and that kind of right. thing. 
Certainly nothing from the White House, which for, you know, all for their- someone who everyone's like, oh, he, he declared the opioid crisis a national whatever. And Obama never did that. Exactly. It's like, um, OK, then why isn't he talking about overdose day? Yeah, why isn't he talking about overdose day? And it's bullshit. Obama did do not enough, in my view. I mean, I'm not. Um, but to put, you know, Kellyanne Conway in Ew. charge of it, it's like a slap in the face of every family that's lost somebody it's like what the fuck does she know about it of course i don't think she knows anything and she looks like madam remember madam yes <laughs> remember wayland flowers and madam every time i see her i can't even think i mean i know she's just standing there lying and whatever but all <laughs> i can think of is she looks like madam because Way- Waylon Flowers, oh, I think he god. died of AIDS. Oh my god! But he, so they funny. were always on seventies variety shows. I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, so to our listeners, if you Google Waylon Flowers and Madam, and then write me and tell me that that does not look like Kelly. <laughs> yeah. um, no, I mean a lot of recovery advocates posted stuff about it. And, um, but that was kind of it. It was just sort of on Instagram, people posting about it. Yeah. I mean, there were some stakeholders and people individually in recovery and that kind of a thing. But for the most part, I mean, for a condition that takes 191 Americans a day, it's nobody really says anything. It's weird. Yeah, it is weird. Yeah. So, and I think I've said this before. I mean, I've tried and tried and tried and tried, and it's not like I have clout in the media but you know i mean because of lori do and my own whatever i know a person or two nobody's given a shit but andy cohen so thank you andy cohen thank you andy cohen i like andy cohen anyway he's a nice guy i've never um, met and him always been really helpful what's that i said i've never met him but hi well maybe this will blow up and we'll be famous and he'll have us on yay i like that <laughs> we can be on watch what happens live with some and i mean it's he's always like showing a new boob job of a housewife or something oh my God. You know, it's always some you know important i mean it's look it's not 60 minutes but uh, i'd go <laughs> oh totally right? hi yeah i'm a total media whore i've been on every podcast that'll happen they're like we have two we have two listeners i'm like i'm in so Look, I don't know how many listeners we have, but I always say there was maybe 15 people at the Sermon on the Mount, and look what happened. Okay. Yeah. Weird. Okay. All right. So, um, the My Pillow guy is still a lying weirdo. <laughs> and don't think we've forgotten about you, My Pillow guy, or your fucking passive aggressive weird representative who called me. No. I forget his name now. Kevin. But he was Was it Kevin? Yes. Okay. I was I was deeply offended by that message. I mean, I'm easily offended unlike you but i just was like this seems condescending fuck you dude well i found it condescending i'm weird too that's i mean someone, I don't know that's that a wacko who should have said something hi did he say something no all he says is he loves he, jesus, jesus and, and, he and wants pillows to, right right and if donald trump could uh he would blow him in macy's window <laughs> there's nothing to, there's not there's nothing to say about the my pillow guy other than no but i mean i think that if you i mean a crack addiction for a long time I and mean, he had like seven car acts i mean something crazy i mean it's like no you know, i know you know if you have a crack addiction for that long like i don't know you should kind of be involved in recovery hi i think so well i like, think he does think he is because like give pillows he, to it, fucking sober livings and fucking yeah. shelters and like do shit right Fuck Oleander and like, you know, stop. He's just, I, I don't know, whatever. I would love to have him on and we can. Yeah, look, discuss. I mean, it's, it's a, you never know. We can try I mean, for years and years. Jew, and- I'm not convinced of the power of, of Jesus, but I would like to hear about his experience. <laughs> well, Jesus was a Jew. Oh God, that is, I'm so sick of people saying that to me. 
Yes, I know. And then, but then everyone, I've got other like weird people going, you guys killed our Lord. I'm like, well, how can I, I just, uh, I dated someone who used to say that to me all the time. I'm like, he's like, you killed our Lord. And I was like, well, you just yeah. take your pants off and fuck me. Like, please, let's not talk about this. You're from the South. Like I'm a Jew. Like just. I did not kill your lord personally, like, please. Yeah. Are you hearing the fucking garbage can out in the alley? No, I'm not. Oh, that's good. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, um, well, uh, killing the lord aside, um, I feel like we owe the Jews a lot. We owe, you know, Jesus was a Jew. Fonzie. Oh was god, a Jew. your obsession with Fonzie being a Jew. Oh my god. <laughs> I can't. Um who else? I can't. I I, I mean I, I don't you know. I don't it, really it, think it, about it. I, I don't right. really think about it. Okay. All right. Well All fuck right. you, my pillow guy, you weirdo. Um you weirdo crack smoking pillow Jesus lover. Freak. Yeah. So um Okay, so our sponsor we have a new sponsor and yes. And we're excited as fuck. Here's what I love is that they give 50% of their profits to recovery causes. So I love B corporations, which are corporations that are, you know, in their mission, they give, um, you know, like Patagonia gives to environmental causes, right? You know, there's people out there like that. And I've always thought that recovery needs to do that. I've also thought we aren't just rehab. Right. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. We have a life stop beyond thinking that. our lives. Yeah. Mean repetitive consumption of rehab. That's we're you know we do things like drink yerba mate. Well, I've been drinking yerba mate so, for years and years and years. So this is like a dream come true to have clean cause yerba mate, like you know, and be like stocked in it because it's like literally it's someone like like paying you to and paying for your coke addiction. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. I totally believe in them. Well, that and, and it was like, it was exactly, I mean, a lot of people in recovery drink your mate. And I mean, you know, as we learned when we had our call is that, you know, the guy had been drinking monster drinks and like energy drinks, which is what a lot of people do in early recovery. And that throws you yeah. up and then you come crashing down and it can also give you a seizure. And so he was like, and someone turned him on a yerba mate, the tea from the Amazon with the, the long clean buzz. And then uh, he was hooked. And so yeah. it's really good shit. Yeah. I love it. So I like the watermelon mint. Do you like the watermelon mint? I do, but more, I mean, look, I think that, yes. And like I don't want to weird. That's make, the weirdest one. I was kind of like, ah, and I was like, no, I like it. No, I liked, I liked the watermelon mint. I'm going to come grab all your stuff. You good. can, yeah. Because I drink like two so, a day. Right. But here's, I mean, I don't want to make this an infomercial for our sponsor, which I just think it's, look, I think it's great that they give to recovery causes. I think it's great that they're everywhere. You know, they're at Whole Foods and all this stuff. Um, right, you got some pushback and, about like you, you, the clean. Well, this is or, the thing: is that I posted about this, like buy this stuff, and even my mother was like, "Oh, it is." You know, it was all like this mystical <laughs> thing, mother. and I said, "I said, well, send it to Father, um, you know, send it to the homeless shelter." Oh, okay. <laughs> so I just sort of did this, like, God damn, I'm sorry, I can't. I don't know if you can hear this, but I can hear it a little bit. Hopefully, the trash can is going to be gone Good, in a minute. Great. Um, the point being is, so I posted a little video and just sort of encouraged people, look, send it to, send it to the homeless shelter, your favorite mutual aid meeting, send it to a sober living, send it to wherever, buy a case, buy the stuff in bulk. And so, of course, people started commenting, I thought we didn't say things like clean and dirty anymore. Oh, that, I can't, <laughs> that like, makes me, first of all, they're talking about clean caffeine, I think, like it's a cleaner type of caffeine but also yeah. that makes me so bananas like that's what you're going to pick up from a company that gives half of its profits to, to well, recovery a, leave it you're to it? right well leave it to recovering people to find something to complain about right well, that, I, mean, we you know, know. That, I say clean and dirty i i mean i say right. clean and sober i say junkie i say you know what? Yeah. And it's like, I truly yeah. don't think it's the language that's going to break the stigma. It's the showing, it's showing people that we recover. Like I've said before, it's not about the word. It's about our behavior. 
You know what I mean? It's like, you know, oh, I agree. Look, know? I agree with you. And I think that the individual gets to and identify people themselves. Die, and they, they think want. it's a fucking choice. And right. it's like, you know, like I, I wrote a whole piece about it and it's just like, you know, it doesn't matter if you say substance use disorder, if you're like, you know, like, you know, like, well, you know, Dave fucked my wife and stole my car and, you know, you know, my, whatever it's disorder. like, and then you're like, you're like, you're like, well, he has substance use disorder. Oh God. Okay. That's well, okay. Substance that, use you know. disorder is a clinical term. I mean, I well, would I've write never heard that one person plan. say that. I just don't, I mean, I don't, I don't have shame about being a junkie. I'm sorry. I, you know, I don't have shame about addiction. I don't have shame yeah. about, you know, my book is all about that. And I got a shitload of pushback when that came out. And it's just like, yeah. I don't like the PC word police. It's not for me. And maybe that, well, I, know. this is, I don't love the purity test of you didn't do this and you didn't do that. I also don't love the people who have decided that this is the policy for all people in recovery. And now they're policing what other people say based on what they want. Uh, you know, at the same time, whatever, I don't care. Weirdly, I don't have an opinion about this. I pretty no, much have I an just, opinion like, about everything. everyone let you do what you want to do. Like, like That's everyone gets to describe think, so. the way, you know, like, I get to describe my story the way that I want to describe yeah. my story and myself, and you get to do it the way you want to do it. But don't put that your is stuff correct. on me. But um, I agree. tell us, tell us a little bit about, tell our, our listeners a little bit about our guest today. I will tell you about our guest, but wait, let me just finish this thought. I've here's what I've decided is that I'm now calling my alcoholism Dave. So I don't offend anybody. Oh my God. You're so weird. You're so weird. (laughs) Well, it's funny because, you know, I also talk a lot about cannabis, which we some, at some point we're just going to have to talk about my, that, but not today. Um, And I would talk and I would say marijuana. And then they were like, we don't say that anymore. It's really racist. And I was like, all right, say whatever you want. What do I say? Cannabis. I'm like, all right, fine. Cannabis it is. Okay. All right, so let me tell you about our guest. Our guest is Michelle Lipinski. Like, Lori, do you got me this T-shirt that says, I might like three people and coffee. Um, so Michelle is definitely one of the three people in the world that I like. <laughs> uh, so she is the principal of North Shore Recovery High School, which is a high school in suburban Boston, looking to meet the needs, the unique needs of uh, youth and recovery. She also serves on city council. And has kids of her own, so I don't think sleep is a lot on her <laughs> schedule. Uh, between between, I don't know how many kids are at your school, um, and she just released a documentary series about the high school, sixteen and recovering. So please welcome a true recovery recovery warrior in the trenches, and my dear friend Michelle Lipinski. Hi, Michelle. Welcome. Hello. How are you? Thank you so much for coming on. I uh, watched some trailers and I was just, oh, like crying. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm in recovery and I just, I have so much respect for what you do. I know you've done it for what, 17 years? 14. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it's a lot. It's a lot. Sure is. Yeah. And, and Michelle, uh, thanks for coming on. I know MTV had you on like a serious interview thing today. Um, it was, it was like, I was like nothing I've ever experienced before. Yeah. Because it literally was like every, right. every eight minutes I was on a different station across the country for two wow. hours. So I, uh, I know. Yeah. You're, so you're on yeah. a media tour, Blitz, huh? I'm with you guys, so I can just let my hair down. You can just chill. You yeah. can totally let your hair down. You can tell us the real story. So why don't, just, can you tell us, give us, walk us through a little bit of the origins of your high school? Um, so I was running an alternative school in the early 2000s, and um, a lot of my students um, were getting addicted to prescription medication and then subsequently got addicted to heroin. So part of my job during that time was really like checking kids for track marks, like looking between their toes and behind their knees, like and they would try to hide it. And I, you know, it, it was insane. Like, and nobody told me in graduate school, this was going to be part of my job, but it just kind of organically became part of my job. Mm. Um, 
And then consequently, during that time, the Department of Public Health was looking um, forward to try to start this new model of starting a school called a recovery school. And my superintendent pretty much made me do it. So, because um, I'd been bitching about it so much to people. And um, you'd been bitching about the problem yeah. in the school. Day. Yes, to my superintendent and like handing him prayer cards on graduation, right. which is frowned upon, apparently. Um, uh, and oh, God. I, so. <laughs> That was what I did. And he, um, so when we came across this, this was like, you know, he was like, you can't not do it. Mind you, I had a two month old when I decided to start taking this job. So, um, yeah. So that was why I decided to do this job. And then I, it was great because Joe, I don't know if you remember this story, but like, they were like, okay, so now you're going to start this school. And I was like, okay, but like, there's no book. <laughs> there's no other school in Massachusetts. And they give you like an empty, like, you know, like, but the ba- I won't call it the basement, the first floor of an old middle school, right? So it's like this really old school with asbestos and whatever. There's no desks, right. there's no students, there's no teachers, there's no internet. Like I'm literally perched on top of a cabinet, stealing internet from the superintendent upstairs. Right. So it was like, I just sat there and I was like, what did I just do? Oh and then I had to start finding students. So that was cool. Yeah. And was it hard to find students? No. <laughs> that was the easy part like right. you know i think that kids were coming out of rehab or they were yeah. coming, um you know yeah and, and and what i did though joe is i listened i just listened to them and um and they told me things and and the opposite way of what i would have done in traditional education so interesting was, yeah i like i literally realized my first year of running this school like i did everything wrong in my like my previous 15 years of being in schools so it was it was really eye-opening when i listened wow. to conversations and i'm like the way that we have to approach adolescence with substance use and mental health disorders is exactly the opposite of the way that i was taught to work yeah with yeah interesting that's really interesting yeah well they are a unique population for sure and you know i mean i i uh, you know, I absolutely applaud your efforts. I've always been supportive of this. I've always thought it was awesome. And it's interesting because I heard about your high school and I was in New York City at the time. And so I was like, I'm going to go to work at our New York City recovery high school, right? It was just sort of this arrogance that I just assumed we had one because we had, because I was walking my dog past automotive repair high school. So I was sure that we had recovery high school. So I started looking and looking and looking and couldn't find anything. And then I was like, okay, fuck them. I'm going to coach weight training at the recovery high school and all of this crazy stuff. And I couldn't, there was no recovery high school. And I couldn't, I was like, we're New York. We have everything. Most cities don't have Malaysian restaurants. I have two on my street and one is a gay Malaysian restaurant. (laughs) And so the whole idea of it not existing was not computing. And then when I finally accepted there isn't a recovery high school, I was like locked and loaded on yours. And I don't know if you remember this, but I drove up there to observe and, yeah. and you know, I mean, and, and there still isn't really recovery high school in New York. We, we've tried. There's a, there was that program in Staten Island. And anyway, um, but what do, you, what do you think? I mean, I, I know that there are more and more of these across the country, but so, what, Joe, what are your thoughts about? I don't think that recovery high schools are the answer. I think, you know, why, why Michelle, because of these models, they open and they shut down and there's certain, you know, I mean, I think that what we do at North Shore recovery high school or some of the other recovery high schools, um, should be done in every school. Like, I don't understand why we right. can't do trainings for teachers who want like, I don't have a team, like that old math teacher probably doesn't want to be trained on how to work with adolescents with substance use disorders. But you know what? There are plenty of people who really want to address this head on, but the policies that keep these kids sick, like our discipline policies and our zero tolerance bullshit policies mm-hmm. and, and all those att- attendance, like, don't get me started. Like we have policies that keep the kids sick and keep us from being able to have those conversations that are really going to change yeah. the trajectory for these kids. Right. So 
we can't even have yeah. a conversation because I can't say, wow, Johnny, you look a little banged up today. Like without having some serious repercussions, if I don't tell the school nurse or if I don't tell administration, right. I mean, you're supposed to have like disciplinary action or things that, you know, you can't just engage the kid in the therapeutic alliance. Right. Yeah. And no one's going to be honest yeah. if they know they're going to get in trouble. Exactly. So, you know what I mean? If they, if, you know, you've got to build trust. If I'm going to tell you I'm loaded or I've got a problem, I've got to know there's, I'm safe and that you're going to help me right. and not like throw me out or, or, you know what I mean? I'm going to, you know, whatever. It's like, yeah. Yeah. How many people have you Narcan in your career? <laughs> at my school or in my, in my community? Cause I Narcan yeah, okay. at Petco the other day. So I don't, are you <laughs> serious? Yes. Not a I dog. Like, what? Mom, what are you doing? I'm like, um, hold on. I need to go take care of. He's like, do what are you doing? Mom? I'm like, nothing. Don't no, just go back. Narcan someone at Petco? That's amazing. Yes. Oh my God. I'm setting up a shrine to you. That's so <laughs> badass. What, someone was ODing at Petco? And so somebody left a body. <laughs> a body? No, they, they must have like, they, there was nobody in the car. This person was in the back seat and like their feet were sticking out the back window. So somebody oh, was must have been like, hey, look, there's somebody. So I went over there and then they were unresponsive. So. Fuck. So what did you do? You just had to call 911? I did. I called 911 yeah. while I was Narcanning. Oh, and is awful. he still alive? Yeah. Good for you. Yeah, he's alive. So I don't, but yeah. You know what I've found interesting about Narcanning people is that they're often pissed that you blew their high. Of course. Well, they wake up like in like full withdrawal, so they're totally disoriented and shaking and pissed off. But it's better right. that than dead. Hi. No, I know. But people think uh, people have the wrong idea. People who don't understand the drug culture think that they're going to wake up and they're going to be so grateful and they're going to love you and then they're <laughs> never going to use again because they 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 learn their lesson. You save, like, save no. them from death. Yeah. Yeah. It's like no, they're they're fucking pissed. No, no, they're my rig. And I was like, I don't know where your rig is, man. I don't need to. Get yeah. So, oh my god! Good times, and only us could laugh about this. Only we on this, these three of us can actually <laughs> have a laugh, laugh about that. Um, yeah, so it's kind of tragic. Um, but I haven't, I, I haven't used Narcan in too many kids at my school, but a couple. That's good. Yeah. 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 How many kids are there these days? Right now, we just graduated. I believe twelve or thirteen, so we're back down to like thirty-eight. So usually around 38 though. I mean, that's a lot. Can you, I mean, imagine that 38 kids with mental health and substance problems all under one roof. Like I, 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 I can't even imagine the, the pure ecstasy? amount of work. Yeah. It's so much fun. Well, the, well, yeah, but I mean the patience, the work, the, and you know, look, I think that these kids are often viewed as, you know, like the first couple of pancakes that don't come out and you have to throw them away. <laughs> you know, I mean, they're like, I, 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 they're not disposable. Like the I, I, and the fully, I've known over the years, I've known like, kids. Oh, I fucked up. Let me try again. Well, right. But it's like, it, it, you know, oh, fuck them. Put them in the basement of some old middle school. Like, <laughs> well, why? You know, why can't they be on the football team? Why can't they That's, do regular things? I mean, exactly. you know, it's, so. it's a crazy situation. Right. And I've known they have all the extracurricular some activities. of your kids. Yeah. But I strip them of all their extracurricular you know. activities when I take them. You know, when, when I apply to my school, I don't have sports. I don't have band. I don't have the chess club. I don't have, you know, I don't have yeah. all those extra pro-social activities. And so, you know, now they have to drug test and now they have to go to the school that's two hours away. You know, I just... I'd rather give information to people to address it in their own system. So, so in your view, it would be better to integrate social supports and meet some of their needs, like integrated into the core curriculum, just like your mainstream high schools. Yeah. I mean, if a person's dysregulated and they're in a yeah. classroom, instead of trying to make them, uh, you know, sit down, like that's what, that's what right. out of the zone of regulation and you can't like, you're obviously yeah. dealing with some stuff. And instead of like saying like, no, what we do is we have these, these um, pulse oximeters and we put them on their finger. We're like, Oh, you're at 124. You're at resting heart rates at 75. You can't even learn. Let's go take a walk. Like, so we, we know what their zone is. We address it and yeah. it doesn't feel like we're, I mean, they can't access education. They're, they're out of their zone of regulation. So I think that for me, it's like when we see people that are so dysregulated and we're just like, now sit down, they're not going to be able to do that, you know? So we just need to recognize yeah. 
treat him differently. Like, yeah, I don't. Think well, Einstein said that everybody's a genius, but if you ask a fish to climb a tree, you're going to be very disappointed. Correct. So, you know, I think it's a matter of, and part of what I think we do with this forced and coerced abstinence and this sort of puritanical ethic is, I think we ask a lot of fish to climb trees, and then we get really angry at the fish, yeah. which doesn't seem. <laughs> It doesn't really seem fair to me. It doesn't. I mean, I spent the better part of my morning um, and I did redefining recovery. <laughs> Just people, I was like, wait, 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 that's, there's a, there's a journey from here to there. And yeah. I don't yeah. expect abstinence-based recovery because then a couple people were like, so what's your success rate? And I was like, ah, what does that word mean? Success. Like right. um, they're alive right. and they're thriving right. and they're working and some of them are in college. Like, I don't, are they abstinent? I don't know. And I don't know what I even ask. Good for you. Wow. That's progressive. So, I mean, we don't even, we're not even there yet in like the recovery culture, you know what I mean? And and that whole thing, it's abstinence is like the Holy grail. And if God forbid you talk about harm reduction or a cannabis track, people lose their minds. Well, that's what you're really sober, you know? You'll see in the episode, one of my, my drug counselor, Chad, he's actually going up, oh, just weed up, oh, just weed. Oh, just like, he's looking at all the drug tests. And, and then he goes, yeah. oh, I mean, I mean, we'd rather have, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, no, no, it's yeah. no benzos. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like when, yeah. you know, it's like, yeah, weed, it's not going to kill people. I never liked weed because I'm a neurotic Jew. So then it made me really paranoid. <laughs> and like, I was like, ah, didn't yeah. keep me from smoking at for a, a period of time. Cause I just, you know, I'm a drug addict, yeah. but it's like, yeah. I mean, I love that's that really, progressive, but I, you know, I, I really hear what you're saying about, I don't know. I mean, I never did sports or band or any of that stuff. Cause that's, I never was interested in that, but it's like, I think that extracurricular activities are really important. I mean, I know that for me, a big part of my recovery was, was staying busy, finding things I enjoyed aside from getting high and like finding a purpose, finding a passion, creativity, yeah. getting my yayas out, you know what I mean? Exercise, all of that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, for sure. I mean, I think that sports is a really grounding system and I think it's, you know, the physicality of it can be really great for, for kids for sure. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think it, I agree with you, Michelle. First of all, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I mean, the whole idea and, and Dr. Bienenfeld was really the one who taught me about that, you know, it's weed. Right. And you know, he's kind of looking at this as a scientist. And so we're looking at urine screens and I'm like, Oh fuck, you know, this one has THC. And he's like, yeah, there's no benzo. There's no amphetamine. There's no, this, there's no, you know, there's no opiates. If there, we don't, let's not, let's not chase things that aren't. Yes. We'd love them to be totally abstinent. Right. But then it's also like, well, maybe they shouldn't be totally abstinent. Maybe the cannabis is helping to release some pressure You know, it's like a valve that releases some of the pressure and it helps them stay away from other things that are going to hurt them. So I don't know. I think it's a complicated issue, especially with kids. But when I get a urine screen and it's THC and negative for everything else, I consider that to be a success. And I think that it's, um, we need to look at these kids' lives in a bunch of different ways, not just a positive or negative drug screen. There's a lot of things that we could look at to determine how they're doing in life. And if they're, you know, back on the track of normal course of development. So I'm all with you. I don't think that, I think people want to apply logic. They want to apply Nancy Reagan ethics. They think the D.A.R.E. program is going to do something. Yeah, that worked well. Yeah. The D.A.R.E. program. uh, Yeah, just say, I mean, I have have an old 80s D.A.R.E. shirt because it's fucking cool, but it's like, just say no. It's like, yeah, that works great. You know what I mean? Like, I, you know, the first time I did crystal meth, it was just, I was just like, oh, someone was like, this will help you get through your waitressing shift. You're tired. And I was like, I don't even know what it is. I was 24. And I was like, okay. And I was like, ooh, that was a little bit much. And then the second time I did it, something clicked in my brain and I felt normal for the first time. And I was like, oh, right. like, why yeah. is the psychiatrist giving me this? I mean, Michelle, how many of these kids do you think are, I have two questions. One is, how many are just going through, quote, a stage and are going to just grow out of it? I think that you hit the nail right on the head. I think there's some students who, and if I, I was sitting right here and I just got a text from one of my 26-year-old former students and he said, I think I need help again. So he's still texting his principal. Um, and 
yeah, I think some of them it's just a stage and some of it's going to be a lifelong right. you know, sentence. But I just think I, I can't, I can't tease that out at 17 years old. Like of I course. just, I feel like we yeah. need to give them, no, I know. all I kept saying today is just, it takes radical compassion. It takes empathy and it takes, you know, stopping that school to prison pipeline by, by, by really changing our, our attitudes, our beliefs, our, our, any of our like mandates, any of our policies and procedures, like we can't suspend our way out of this anymore. Like if we know yeah. we're struggling, how can you watch this series and then still suspend them for using like, right. I don't understand that. Like that's just seems, I don't know, irresponsible to me. I, yeah. I've never understood also people like who got sober, like at 17 or 15 and it's like, and they're sober for the rest of their lives. I'm like, how do you not know that it was just a stage? Like you were 15 fucking years old. Like, <laughs> but my question to you is like, so you're kind of in a laboratory. What are you seeing? Are you seeing any, like, is it mental illness? Is it genetics? Is it environment? Is it trauma? Are you seeing any threads that go through that are contributing to most people having addiction? Yes. I mean, it's all right. of those. It's, it's mental right. health. It's substance use. I mean, it's, um, you know, pre-existing trauma. It's this. It's the freaking, you know, the addiction to media. It's about, you know, you know, bullying. I mean, there's so many underlying factors to why students yeah. end up at my school. And I think it's just, and I think for those students, for the students at my school, like they didn't even realize they were addicted when they were addicted. So that's the, that's the whole brain. Oh, wow. This, right. So like they, it's, it takes adults to tell them, Hey, you're crossing some lines. You, you, you know, but I think as adults, we kind of have our prefrontal cortex all connected. So we can, yeah. we got the brakes there. We just don't use them. Um, but as our kids, <laughs> they don't even have the brakes, right? Yes. We're, we're kind of their brain at that age. So kids are still like not identifying like, and they shouldn't have to identify as being an alcoholic or an addict because they're too young. Like don't label them, don't stigmatize them. Right. So I think it's just, yeah, it's a whole yeah. confluence of all of those things. And a lot of it is, yeah. I mean, we approach every, everything under a trauma lens. So if a kid gets really big and telling me whatever, I literally take a knee. And I'll go, I'm so sorry, honey, you were just dealing with something. Like, it's mm. not like what, what happened. It's not what's matter with you. It's what happened to you. So I think we just need to right. change those lang that language of how we frame, you know, kids who are dysregulated. Right. Know, you know. Joe, you're so weirdly quiet, Joe. They, they, oh, sorry. God, I'm sorry. The phone. I don't know what the fuck happened. Oh, my God. When, when, you know, Such I, a Luddite. He's like the Oh, You don't even I know. I turned it off. Fuck. Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. Kill me. I'm developmentally okay. delayed, dysregulated. Oh, I, oh, I Please know, have honey. empathy for I, me. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> oh, God, Michelle, you created a monster now. Now, instead of getting mad, where, you know, then I'm going to have to use, I, he's going to have to have, I'm going to have to have empathy now for all of his, even when he's a dick, I have to have empathy because that's the best he can do. Right? So I got to meet him where he is, man. Oh, oh, I learned that. Totally. Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah, but you have to meet me where I'm at in my needy. Yes. I, I do. I don't know what to do about it. I mean, it's like, well, okay, I don't know what you want me to do. So wait, Michelle, tell us about the series. I mean, I think that this is, um, you know, and I've seen the trailers and stuff and I thought, that was really compelling. I think it's really important for people to understand the complexity of this. It's not just say no, which by the way, I think the D.A.R.E. program is gross. I had these girls telling me the cop was flirting with them. I was like, oh, okay. That seems like not part of the curriculum. Um, um, but tell us, about the, tell us about the series. How um, did that happen? And so what do you, what, it, yeah. were you nervous about it? Well, what happened was... Um, there was a, a student, we, our, my school's really close to this school called Endicott College. And um, one of the students from Endicott College had lost his best friend to an overdose. And so his, for his senior project, he was in the art department. He wanted to do a video of like a montage of student voice from Recovery High School. So I allowed that. He showed his professor, Steve Liss. And Steve approached me to say, I think there's a bigger story here. He's like, I just don't see this as a, like, this is, this will help a lot of people if you get this story out, right? So I was like, oh, well, maybe. And so then I talked to my board of directors, which are 20 superintendents and my executive director, obviously. And then they all said yes. Then I talked to the parents. And like, you would think that the parents would be like, absolutely not. They were like, please tell our stories. We are so beaten down. We wow. are so humiliated, right? We, we've been through the ringer. Please tell our stories. Mm. 
And so then, like, of course, I told the kids, and the kids were like, hey, yeah, I'm in. Um, and then, so that kind of happened. And, but the director was really great and really respectful and um, really listened to the students and listened to us when we were like, you know, you can't tape this. But over time... Good, good. Was, so you know, that's so important. So many shows, yeah. like intervention and stuff I found so exploitive like you know there's plenty of moments where people aren't fighting or throwing up and whatever and they don't show that they show the drama and I get it they want the ratings they want to entertain people but it's like that's not what like rehab's kind of boring sometimes you know like I've been in seven of them so I know but it's like you know so I just I think it's important to not trot us out like ponies like like show ponies and do some freak show exploitive things so i'm really glad that you protected them against that we did i mean and the thought of exploiting them was the reason that i would have not done this but i thought the the benefit of showing people a different way of doing it far yes. out the, the right the the cost or the risks of putting it out there and i mean i'm getting a little bit of backlash now saying that, um, you know, I was even told on, on one, of, what, one of the MTV websites that I'm not a real recovery school by the, um, by the oh, wow. yeah, by the vice chairperson of recovery schools. <laughs> so I was like, oh, that's cool. Why is that? Because, what, what's their I'm issue? Because, like, Joe, we've been having this conversation for years. Because <laughs> um, I don't fit in their, in their little mold. Yeah. You know, it's like, I think. No, I know. Why does it, but what are you doing wrong or differently that they don't approve of? Harm reduction. Right. In, its true, in its truest sense, though, not harm reduction. Like I say, I'm doing harm reduction. I kick kids out for that's not harm reduction. I actually practice harm reduction, and that's really scary for high school, right? So, um, yeah. I think that, what do you think is scary about it? You think it's just a liability, or they just they don't want to? I mean, what? Because to me, it's like, look, I, and you know, I don't love rhyme, but Doctor Bienenfeld says keep them alive till they're 25, right. and I think um, that it it does, and I'm hoping that when Andrew's 25, the boxer shorts can find the hamper. That'd be great. <laughs> but um, I do think it's a different thing. I do think that when people get into their mid-20s, you're talking to a more reasonable human. If these kids hurt themselves, harm themselves, die, or do something that's not really retrievable before that point, then, you know, I mean, that's, that's just straight up irresponsible. Right. You know, I think that we have to roll with it. We have to be empathic. It would be great if they all became just say no drug warriors and wanted to spend their lives in church basements. That's not realistic. Right. 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 It's not realistic and it's not really responsible. So I, I will. And as another out, I don't, I don't know where I fit. I'm like a, I'm like a, you know, like a truck driving, uh, uh, lesbian dude. I don't even know what I am. Right. I mean, I mean, sometimes people are like, Oh, you're so, you're so empathic. And sometimes no, you're people, not, oh, you're you're not such empathic a dick. at all. No, you're totally not empathic. I talk to a billion times a day. You're not empathic. You're a dick. <laughs> I don't think that's true at all. I have an African orphan. Yes. What? I have a lot of empathy yeah. for AIDS, uh, orphans. I, oh, I mean, you know, oh, oh, I think I'm that sorry, but just not Jewish American princesses. Yeah. Is that the problem? Probably because it seems so trivial to me. Like when, you, when you've been scrounging around for food, your fucking eyelashes don't really do. I don't. I don't have a lot of emotional uh, response to that. Get on your Peloton. Be quiet. Right. Drink your, drink anyway, your so look, Michelle. Apple. I think. Um, I think that yes. You what? What choice do you have with this population? But to practice harm reduction. You what have is it that to meet them think? where they're at, right? I mean, Michelle. Like, where? What else are you going to do? Send them back to their regular schools. That's what they do. That's where a lot of people... Right, but that's, a, that's such a setup, and it's not meeting their need of this child, right? Yeah, you're preaching um, before. Yeah, so I think... I know. Um, I, I know I am. I, I know I am. Um, and look, if there's, if there's anything I've learned about specifically young men is just because they're in the body of a tall person, yeah. they're still ch children. Right. Right? I yeah. mean, they're still dumbasses and they're still children and they still need oversight and supervision. They still need a Sherpa in life. They still need guidance. You can't just send a kid back because they irritated you. Right. So I think, um, I think some people expect them to be on this little recovery rainbow and then everything's going to be peachy keen and they're going to really embrace their abstinence based recovery. But those, 
I'm a public school man. Like those aren't the kids I'm getting. I also work right. with 80%, yeah. 80% of my st- kids are, my students are um, free and reduced lunch. So I'm, I'm working in, you know, below the poverty level. I'm working with a fourth of my students are non-white. And now they're all coming back and they're, you know, with the, under the systemic racism. Like, I just think it's, there's just so much going on. I can't yeah. even imagine telling a kid who's a part of my community, like, yeah, you know what? You're smoking too much weed to be here right now. I just, that just it doesn't make sense to me. Well, I mean, the idea of banishing people from the kingdom for having the problem that they came to you <laughs> with for help, it, wait, wait, that's it, nuts. It's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. But it's the reality of, of So I then, know. Michelle, what happens? Because, like, for me, what I, I mean, I was a late bloomer, but, like, what my problem was, I did well in a structured environment. And as soon as I left that structured environment, I, I fell apart. Like that could be college, that could be rehab, that could be sober living. Like what happens after? Um, we stay connected with all of our students. So everyone Thank God. Yeah. Everyone that's in that um, episode, I mean, we're, we're really close to all of them. Like I, I was just texting them like, you guys all ready for this? You know, I'm uh, <laughs> running for group chat. And, um, and it's just, yeah, we keep in touch with, like I said, we had, I have a 26 year old that just texted me now that says, I think I need more help. And I just think I'm the principal for life, you know? So when they do need help, I have, and, and plus I have like a, a whole army full of warriors that are willing, like, I don't have to go and pull a kid out of a, you know, out of an alley. I have, I can just call one of my graduates and be like, Hey, can you go get so-and-so there on the blah, blah, blah. And they do it, you know? So I think by creating an environment by which we work with harm reduction, we also create a bunch of adults who work with harm reduction and don't expect this, like you said, like, you know, we're going to banish them for, for, for using. We have, so now I have all my grads who have embraced what my philosophy is and they're not assholes either. So it's kind of good. Um, have you had any real success stories over the years? I mean, have you had, and I mean, I feel like it's all a success in varying degrees, but is yeah. there, does anyone stand out in your mind as, yeah. um, I mean, I have, I have a couple of kids that are nurse practitioners. I have, yeah. you know, I don't want to yeah. say maybe being an attorney is a good thing, but you know, a couple of them. <laughs> well, hey, they all need attorneys and bail. Bonds. Yeah, but it, Wait took, a second. but it took effort. I mean, he had to become no. a, you know, yeah, sure. I have a lot of, you know, a lot of my students are in college. They're not getting into the helping professions, right? Nurses. And um, one of my students, yeah. was the Peace Corps for three years, just got back. She was at American University. She's doing her master's right now. I just, yeah. I mean, we have, a, we have a, once again, I think when people say, what is your success? That's really hard to nail down what success is, you know? I, I, well, I think that an academic pursuit and success and is, I mean, that seems like incredibly successful to me. I mean, people who are impaired by mental health, are not able to do that unless it's stable enough. I mean, it, you know, I don't think it goes away, but I think that if these these young adults have stabilized their mental health enough and they're getting through a nurse practitioner program, I mean, how do you not call that success? Yeah, I think I'm going to share this with you. We had an intern and she was phenomenal. And she, um, she went through some stuff when she was in high school and she had gotten her PhD from a well-known college. I'm not going to tell you her name, but I was on, I was at, I don't know, giving a speech somewhere and I, I met her for dinner and she said, you know, um, I just want to tell you, I'm really embarrassed about this, but I'm not in recovery anymore. And I was like, what do you, she's a PhD. She's working with like uh, crazy amounts of like sick people. And she has a glass of wine once in a while. And I was like, oh, no, 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 you're on the island. You don't get to leave the island. You're staying with me on this recovery island. Like, I'm not going to lose you as a recovery ally because you have an occasional glass of Pinot Grigio. Like, that's not going to happen, you know? So I think that we do a really horrible job of, of addressing the fact that, like, some people, like you said, just kind of grow up and grow out of it. And, but yet, you know, she might need support down the line, so I don't want to ostracize her. I just, yeah, right, right. I, I yeah, think there's, a, yeah. there's something in that story that, like, really you have a PhD, you have an occasional glass of wine, like, go for it, you know? <laughs> well, I think that one of my missions has been to expand the definition of recovery, yes. right? Like, yes. and, then, and in a similar way, and, you know, I'm, a, I'm kind of a geek with this, but in the formation of this country, we the people meant me, we the white men who own land, right. right? And so we've been trying to expand that definition ever since. We the recovering people apparently means um, regurgitating 
anti-drug slogans, spend your life in a church basement. We have to expand that definition. Well, this has to include. Look at look at the opioid crisis. Look at the overdoses, especially during the pandemic. They've soared. It's not working. That type of fundamentalism is just not working. No, it's not. And I think that part of it is that that young woman was, you know, I mean, she should be proud that she has a PhD and she's doing well, not living in shame because she didn't maintain total abstinence and perpetuity for the rest of her no, life. No, but also, I mean, right? I that's think an, that's, that's nuts. Well, right? yeah, I mean, we've had, Michelle, I think, that, I mean, we've had, I think there's such a range of, it, there's a spectrum of addiction. There are Correct. people that can do, you know, used to like have an opioid problem. We've had them on and now can smoke pot or now can have a glass of wine once in a while. And then we have people like me who can't even vape without like giving themselves nicotine poisoning. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, so I think that there's all, there's a spectrum and it's like, we don't respect the spectrum and we don't respect that there are many paths and we don't respect that. Like, if you're not totally absent, then you're not sober. You're not in recovery. It's like, you know, then you're, then you've relapsed. Right. I, I totally get that whole, I love that spectrum idea that like, it's, it's not a one and done. It's not a black and white. It's not. No, it, everyone's different. Everyone's different. So, but we can't have a one size fits all. Like my biggest thing is they've taken adult treatment and they've shoved it down the throats of adolescents. Of adolescents, mm. right. No, I know. And I, like, I, I think that that's thinking, one of the, why I don't agree we with, rethink, yeah. why, why, why were we thinking what education should be? Why don't we rethink what treatment should be? Because I took a, a 16 year old yeah. and literally she had to sit in an office and answer a bunch of questions. And I'm like, she really just needs a warm blanket and a hot cocoa in her, and her, <laughs> and her bunny. Like give her her little stuffed bunny that she brought. They wouldn't let her bring the bunny in. Like, oh god! She so with the principal. You think I didn't check it for drugs? I can't check the bunny for drugs. Like she's not. But like, give her the bunny. Check the bunny for drugs. <laughs> but like, like but that's it. Looks like summer camp. Like, why, don't, like, why don't we make them a summer what, camp? Like I don't know. Well, I totally agree with you, Michelle. I mean, I think that applying the protocols of adults to—I mean, first of all, it never really made sense to me. But it's like if you're an adult. In theory, you can say goodbye to the toxic people in your life, right? Whether that's a relationship or whatever. If you're 16, what if the toxic people are your parents? What of are you course. supposed to do? I right. mean, you, you, know, you really are stuck in these things. And so advising somebody based on what you would advise an adult, right. it really, really, really doesn't make any sense. And so it is a very different thing what you're doing, you know, that, that adolescent population. Right. Um, and I would love to see some adaptations. And one of them is, I don't think, I think addiction is as individual as your thumbprint. I think it's person specific. I, I yes. think it manifests itself in very different ways and very, you know, based on gender and culture and religion and your home and your trauma and what's happened to you and, and you know, so many different variables. And so I think that but you that, have people to People don't have, like that idea. It's too overwhelming. People want one thing that's going to fix it. You know what I mean? It's too overwhelming well, to think it's individualized. Stupid. I, I mean, understand that, but that's yeah. why people want yeah. this one size fits all solution for everyone. And it's like, sorry, it's just not that easy. Right. So, you know, so I think while we're, I, so Joe, what did I hear? You were going to start an adolescent treatment center for where? A loft for children? A little playground? Please. I would love to. Here's why I, because I, you, you know, you can't, it's so hard with adolescents because my thing is always with adults is then you don't have to be here. You can, you can go. It's okay. You know, you have the right to self-determine if you're going to be here. You can't really do that with adolescents. Mm -hmm. What I would far prefer is to uh, marry somebody very wealthy and just take (laughs) them as foster children but I don't have to pay for anything. This is the fantasy. He wants to be a housewife and make his homemade <laughs> no, pasta. No braces, yeah. no tuition. Yeah, he doesn't want to pay for anything, but he also doesn't want to listen to women talk about their feelings. So I'm like, so what exactly are you bringing <laughs> to this dynamic? I feel like, I'm yeah. bringing, I'll take care of the foster kids. What the fuck? Oh That's not my enough. God. My anyway, God. so look, Michelle, I, I, um, I don't know what the right population for me is at this point. I kind of think maybe college kids, which I would love, you know, I'd love to just be out of the rehab game entirely and focus on, you know, what I'm good at. I'm 51 now. I don't want to do things I'm not good at, you know, um, ta- 
tap dancing for the rehab business, I have proven time and time and time again, I am not good at it. So, um, yes, I'm open to suggestions of what I could do to participate and utilize my strengths better. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I don't know. Can I, I wish you had a football team. <laughs> or a baseball team. Michelle, what do you, what know. do you hope that the show will do for the general population regarding the stigma of addiction and what, what has the school done to help, uh, um, educate the parents? Because, you know, my father's 83, I'm 50 years old and I, I'm seven and a half years clean and he still feels guilty. He feels like he did something wrong. He won't listen to the podcast because he doesn't want to hear about me being a drug addict every day, all day. And I'm like, you didn't do anything wrong. I mean, it was so, there's so much genetics in my family. So tell me about what you hope for the show and what, what you've allowed, what you've, what parents have gotten from this. You know, it's so interesting you say that because I had on one of my interviews, one of my thousand interviews this morning, I had a person, (laughs) so what what did the parents do wrong? And I was like, whoa, dude, that is not okay. Like, wow. So I didn't say that, but I, but I thought like, wow, people really think it is a moral failure of parents. And that, that in and of itself, that was really eye opening to me because I guess like I would never like, yeah, I have some parents that are, you know, more capable than other parents, but like everybody loves their children. I mean, I don't think people end up addicted not loving their children any less. I think, so I thought it was really interesting. And I guess the message that I would have, because so many times I hear about a student passing and that the parents are walking around and they run into other parents and they've lost their kids too. And then they finally find their little tribe, you know? And I'm like, mm-hmm. why can't we find our tribe before they're passing away? Like, yeah. why can't we have that conversation on a football field that say like, wow, you know what? My kid's are really struggling. Anyone else talk? Like, but we don't because of stigma and shame. Of and, you know, so I think, yeah, my, my parents, I mean, my parents, my students, parents call me all the time. And then, you know, if they pass away, I'm using that first five phone calls. So I usually get that uh, screaming, they're taking away my daughter in a body bag, you know, that oh, no, and I've gotten that 23 times now. 23 oh, times. So, so you had 20, you, it, oh. oh my God. I don't even know how, I mean, I've had it so many times oh. too. And it's so overwhelming. Michelle, it's are you in trauma awful. therapy? Like Jesus. <laughs> oh yeah, my you, God. You're you like a cop. I mean, that's just so heavy. It is heavy. And that's when one of the episodes you'll see that I, you know, I lost a student. He was there one day and gone the next. And, oh. and I had to go and tell my students. And that was like, that's not the mm, worst year of my life. So I think, um, so yes, you were asking what people, I want people to know. I want people to know it's okay to talk about it. I think it's finally back. You know, I'm done whispering about it. I'm done mm-hmm. whispering about the fact that, you know, everyone should carry Narcan. I'm done whispering about the fact that like, we all need to product radical compassion with people who are struggling and give them 365 fresh starts. Like, you know, I, I, I'm, I don't know. I just, it's everything. I want people to look at these children. Like, you know, I had a person this morning who was like, you know, and you're, are my children are going to school with those kids? I go, mm-mm. We're not using those right, kids. Right, right. Our kids. Our, right. Your children are going to school with all of our kids and assume that some of them are addicted and some of them are, some of them are traumatized. Look at the ACEs, you know, stuff. You're going to have at least three to kids have a, an ACEs score of six or higher if you have a 30-person classroom. Like, it's our kids. These are our kids. So that's what I want people to see, the beauty of, like, the recovery journey in an adolescent mind. Like, mm. it's tricky. It's ugly. It's, you know, it's hard. It's you know, whatever. But I think it's, there's beauty in that. And that's what I hope people see, like, that recovery is an option. And this part of recovery is actually really beautiful. And that's what I want people to see. And that it's messy. It's not a straight oh. line. Relapse isn't part of recovery. Sorry. My, um, my battery's at 2%. I don't have my charger. So just, so soon. Well, and I think we're running out of time. Yeah. But Michelle, I, I love North Shore Recovery High School. Whatever we can do for you. I mean, I don't know if you ever want Amy and I to um, Zoom with the kids. I'm not sure what we talk about, but we're more than willing. <laughs> well, I wrote a book. Um, well, right. No, that's what I'm saying. I mean, Amy's <laughs> written a book and she's a published author. And I think that, you know, I, I would book. love like an essay contest yeah, that Amy has book. to read and grade or, no, you know, I have no, no. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Amy, Amy, what's your book? What's your book? I want to know. My Fair Junkie. It came out oh. in 2017. It's helped a lot of people. People love the audio. About this. Joe, why don't you tell me about this? Yeah, Joe, you're the worst. Uh, I don't know. Because I can have my students read it. My students love that kind of stuff. 
Yeah, have them read her book, and then maybe you know Amy can do a Zoom or something. Yeah, it'll be like a with your students. Amy, you can have a book club with my students. I would love that. They're actually using it um, in uh, graduate social work school in New York at Fordham. Nice. I know it makes me really happy. It's a very, very funny and extremely raw look at addiction. I will. Um, I'll order some for my classes, and then we'll. we'll Awesome! I love that. Yeah, the students are coming back on the sixteenth, so I'll have. We'll have a little book. Club. They'll love it because it's super sexy and sex drugs and like, it's like really funny and I'm incredibly immature. So well, <laughs> you'll fit right in. <laughs> I can talk about farts and yeah, it'll, it'll be totally great. <laughs> yeah, no, they will love it. So 16 and recovering is the series. It's yeah. on MTV. Michelle, you thank are you so a, much for coming a, on. a you're true fucking, advocate. Yeah, you're a thing. And thank you're you for warrior, all that man. you do and taking care of these, um, you know, these kids who desperately need adults in their lives who, who care and don't judge. It's so good hearing your voices. Thank you, guys. Okay. Thanks, Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye. 